encourage you to do so. All right, grab your Bible with me this morning, open it to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning and looking at a real moment in Jesus' life when some men brought his friend to Jesus. I believe we can learn a lot from this story about what Jesus thinks about the world and about how we should view the world. But in particular, I, I want us to see this section of scripture as a conclusion to our series of messages titled, Come to the Table. You'll remember week one, we, we talked about how our table is full. Week two, we talked about the table getting bigger and how we need to serve at the table. And then week three, you'll remember that we talked about the purpose of the table. As we talked about these things, we, uh, we, we talked a lot about what our church is doing and how we are getting along as a church and the things that God is doing in our lives. And so we, um, we basically understood that this table is like our church, that it's full and that you and I are making room for more to come to the table, to come to understand who Jesus is. As we begin this morning and look at Luke chapter 5, I, I want to pose a couple questions. And it's really a big question to begin with, and it'll be a question that I, I just want to work through because it's part of our text, but work through this question throughout our message. Here's my question. What is the world's biggest problem? What's the world's biggest problem? Is it hunger? Poverty, slavery, human trafficking, racism, war, addiction, gender identity, politics and government, clean water, clean energy. I guess there's not just one, is there? We have lots of them. But which one is the greatest? Which one should we throw all of our resources at? Which one is affecting the most people globally? Which one could be solved if we unified everybody on the planet towards the common good? Which one? Do you know the answer? None. Say, so why none? Why can't we unify together? Why, why can't we use our resources to affect the common good? Well, we could, but we don't. Why don't we? What's keeping us from all joining together and seeing that these problems affect all of us globally and answering the, the issues and talking about them and solving them together? Well, most of these problems, interestingly enough, are all solvable. They're all solvable. But they never get solved. Why? Because we never get to the root of the problem. We never get to the root of the problem. We're always just cutting off branches. We're always just cutting off little leaves. We're never at the root of the problem, and the root of the problem is in every single one of us, isn't it? What's inside every single one of us globally, every human being always gets in the way, and that is our sin. Our sin gets in the way of us always solving all of our issues. Let me ask another question. Which problem would God solve? If God, 
through all of his resources at one of these problems, which one would he solve? That's a good question, don't you think? Well, I think there's an even better question. Let me pose this question to you. Did God already throw his best resource at these problems? But we just won't see it or accept it or believe it or live in it. And the answer is yes. Yes, he did. He already threw his best resource at all the problems. And all the problems could be solved if we stopped living in our sin and started living for Christ and for one another. Amen. See, all the world's problems and all of my problems stem from me doing life outside of God's will and from the world living outside of God's will. We put ourselves before God and before his word and before others, and therefore we end up kind of stuck in these issues. Even if we could solve all the world's problems, let's say my generation became the greatest generation in the world and we solved all of these problems, but we didn't destroy the root cause, what would happen? They'd just come right back up in the next generation. So you can't stop, you can't stop sex trafficking unless you stop the sin of pornography that lives inside of us. You can't stop war until you stop the hatred and the racism that lives inside of us. You can't stop addiction until people love and like what they see in the mirror. And that's happening inside of us because of our sin nature. We, see, we can't stop these ancillary problems until we destroy the root. I was thinking about all my own personal problems and how they come from a desire to live outside of God's will. And you probably have your own set of problems, like I have my own set of problems. But most of the time, it's because I simply don't surrender to the goodness of God. I don't surrender to his word, to the greatness of it, and to the promises that it provides. And I just try to do it my own way. Now, the pushback question could be, well, if I surrender my life to God, will I still have problems? And the answer is, yes, you still will. Well, why would I have problems? Well, because we still live in a fallen world. And we live in a world that is dominated by sin. I mean, Cooper just gave us a great message about a great conference. Why do we have to have a great conference that pulls people up and says there's something greater than? Because our world tells us to live in something less than. And so here we, here we are at this time where Jesus came to earth. He fixed our root problem but we don't like what he has to say. And as a culture, we struggle with all of these issues. Now, how does this relate to bringing our friends to the table? Well, part of the answer is found in Luke chapter 5. Look at Luke chapter 5 with me, verses 17 to 26. This is a great moment in Jesus' life, a real true story that happened that I think can help us understand the problems that we have, the problems that our friends have, and this idea of, as we head to three services, bringing our friends to Jesus, bringing them to the table. Verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. 
And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Now, there's a lot we could learn from this story. I, I have about four, four, five, maybe six rabbit trails that I'm going to try not to explore this morning because I'm trying to learn to shorten my messages. In the past, I would take several of them, but this morning I have to learn, amen? So I want to try to concentrate on two things this morning. First of all, Jesus' response that is amazing, revolutionary, life-changing, and I believe is globally changing. Second is the men who climbed on a roof for their friend. Let's look at Jesus' response. Now, Jesus' response is interesting because he responds quite differently than we might have expected a person to respond in the given situation. So this, imagine with a minute, you're in this room and dirt is falling on your head, dust is coming everywhere, straw is falling down, now sunlight starts to come in, and all of a sudden, a man is lowered down in front of you. And he obviously has a problem. He's paralyzed. And it's interesting. He gets lowered right down in front of Jesus. And you, you would think in this moment that Jesus would deal with the apparent problem. But he doesn't. He deals with with a more difficult problem. See, Jesus' first response was to address the man's sin problem. Interesting. He didn't focus first on the man's apparent problem, which was that he was paralyzed. He doesn't comment on what seems like the obvious issue. He doesn't say, sorry, you're paralyzed. He doesn't talk about what everyone sees on the outside which is his paralysis. Instead, Jesus addresses a more important issue in the man's life, a deeper paralysis. And so Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, it could almost sound like a cop-out for Jesus, but it's actually Jesus answering the question, what is the world's biggest problem? Is the biggest problem in this person's life physical paralysis or sin? It's sin. Because sin is even paralyzing him more than his physical paralysis. 
Jesus is showing us that the biggest problem is our sins. But many times we look on the outside instead of going to the inside where God goes. We look at all the issues on the outside and we struggle to see the real issue which is in man's hearts, which is in our hearts and in our friends' hearts. See, Jesus wanted us to know that the forgiveness of our sins is the biggest problem we have. Now, the man was paralyzed. That's a pretty big problem. That's a big issue, especially in a culture that doesn't have wheelchairs, that doesn't have handicapped cars, that, that doesn't have laws that make it possible for a handicapped person to enter a building and have correct doorways and correct bathrooms and correct living space and to thrive in a culture. That's not available here. Jesus points out that the forgiveness of his sin is more important than his physical condition. Because here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that sin negatively affects our present and our eternity, and he came to solve both. See, when we follow Christ, he gives us the power to live in the Spirit instead of in our sin, and Jesus delivers us from the consequences of sin for all eternity. Now, because Jesus focused first on the man's sin problem didn't mean he didn't notice the man's paralysis because he obviously takes the time to heal his paralysis as well. He heals the man, and he proves that he is powerful enough to set us free from our sin and heal our wounds, and that when we deal with our sin problem, it opens the door for us to solve all of our problems. Now, it should also be pointed out here that Jesus' response is also declaring a powerful fact about Jesus, and that is that Jesus is God. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law said, no one can forgive sins except God, and so Jesus said, well, let me acknowledge that I can. Therefore, not only am I the Messiah, but I am also equal to God himself. This is why Jesus sets the man free for eternity and then heals his physical condition. So Jesus' response is extraordinary. But let's secondly look at the men in this story. We don't know their names. All we know is that they were a friend of this man. And the men, they can't get to Jesus. They can't get through the crowd. And I thought about this story. I thought, this is kind of interesting. They went through a lot of trouble to climb on a roof and open a hole and get somebody down instead of just saying, could you move, please, so my friend who is paralyzed could get through? I think that's interesting. Does that mean the people in the crowd were so selfish that they wouldn't move? I'm not sure. Or is God just trying to really communicate and teach us something here? So I don't know about you, but I hate going on my roof. I'm not sure I would do this. Anybody else? Right, Craig's with me. Great. You and I will work together and hire someone. <laughs> I'd like to look at two things that changed their friend's life, and then one that changed their life too. Look at what they knew. Here's the first thing they knew. They knew their friend had a problem. 
Interesting. Fairly simple. They knew their friend had a problem. It wasn't hard to see that their friend was paralyzed. They saw his immediate need. But what they didn't see was what Jesus saw. They didn't see the deeper issue, the more important need. See, Jesus knew something that the man's friend didn't know, that our sin paralyzes us far more than anything else does. And our sin keeps us stuck. It keeps us stuck in paralyzing situations, paralyzing thinking, paralyzing addictions, paralyzing actions that hurt ourselves and others. And Jesus came to free us from the paralysis that we all have. Yet the enemy of our soul, he doesn't want us to see that our most important problem is our sin and that by believing in Jesus, we can live free. See, Satan wants the world and our culture to dismiss that we have a spiritual problem or a sin problem, and he wants us to always think about our issues from an alternative philosophy or idea that always disregards God. For instance, have you noticed in our culture and around the world, Satan always tries to get, about, get us to think about our problems from a physical nature. This is why we rarely, if ever, hear people talking about the spiritual issue that we have as mankind when addressing the world's biggest problems. It's never brought up. It's never brought up that you and I have a spiritual problem and that it could lead to all of these conditions. What we're always told is that mankind, we can solve our problems together with things like intelligence, creativity, unity, science, technology, government, philosophy, education, healthcare, art. Well, let me ask a question. How long has intelligence and science and government and healthcare been around? Thousands of years. Well, then that must obviously mean that our problems have gotten better and easier to solve. No. Hmm. Well, if we've been using all of our intelligence and creativity and education and art to solve our problems, how come they're getting worse? Because we never address the root. We never cut the head off. Psychologist Mike, Mark Leary said this in a great article in Psychology Today. He said, human behavior is by far the single largest cause of the difficulties that each of us experience in life. Most problems are people problems. And the people who cause our problems are quite often us. How can people be so intelligent and effective, yet also so dysfunctional? What is wrong with people? Now, here's what's interesting. Great, great statement. It looks like, man, he's read Luke 5. But you read the rest of the article, and there's not one attempt to solve mankind's problems through Christ. They're all tried to get solved through psychology or intelligence or education. And because of that, we never 
get to the issues. See, these are questions that people have had for all of time, but we never answer them because we never get to the root. And that's exactly how Satan manipulates us globally. As long as he can convince us that none of this is a sin problem that Jesus came to fix, then we'll never actually solve it. Now, we've seen periods of it getting solved for a a moment or two, or we'll see pockets on the planet where it gets solved for a season. But Christ wants to solve it forever. Our problem is sin, and the only hope for this world is Jesus. Only Jesus frees us from the paralyzing effects of our sin, Jesus sets us free into God, God's design for us. God sets us free into our full potential. Let me ask a question at the conclusion of this little point. What do you see when you look at your friends? Think about the friends that you would like to come to this table. What do you see when you look at them? Do you see their immediate need or their eternal need? Do you see what's going on on the outside, or can you see deeper through spiritual eyes? Do you see people that need Jesus? Do you see their eternal need for a Savior? I hope so, because those are the people that need to come and see the goodness of God at our table. The next thing that I thought was interesting was they knew Jesus could solve their friend's problem. First of all, they knew that their friend had a problem, but then second, they knew that Jesus could solve their friend's problem. They knew that Jesus was the answer. So the men brought their friend to Jesus. They brought their friend to Jesus because they knew he was the answer to his problem. Now, let me point out that this is the most important part of the story. The most important part of the story is this. Jesus is the answer. That's the most important part of the story. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus is the answer. There was a children's ministry teacher who was talking to her class, and she says, what is gray with a bushy tail, climbs trees, And makes a lot of noise. And one of the little boys said, Well, it sounds like a squirrel, but in Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. So I'm going with Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) The boy's right. The answer is Jesus, unless you're describing a squirrel. In that case, it's a squirrel. Our biggest challenge is making Jesus the answer. These friends, they tore apart a roof to bring their friend to Jesus because they knew Jesus was the answer. They knew the best way that they could be a friend was to bring their friend to Jesus. Our biggest problem is sin. And Jesus is the only answer to it. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our biggest problem is sin. 
Jesus is the answer to that problem. And by answering that problem, we also get to answer all of our issues on the planet. Lastly, these men knew their friend had a problem. They knew who could solve their friend's problem. And the best part is this. They were willing to do something about their friend's problem. See, all they knew was this. If we just get our friend in Jesus' presence, he will do the rest. If we just get our friend close to Jesus, Jesus can do the, do the rest. They were willing to do something about their friend's problem. So here's the million-dollar question for us this morning. Are we willing? Are we willing to do something for our friends? Are we willing to bring our friends to the table? Are we willing to bring our friends to Jesus? The only reason to add a third service is to do this. It's the only reason. Because it's the reason we exist as a church. To help the world understand the challenges that they're having could all be answered if they gave their life to Christ. The men were willing to help their friend with his problem. Are we? Since we know that our friend's biggest problem is their sin nature, are we willing to bring them to Jesus and let him set them free? Because here's the issue. We can know our friend has a problem, and we can know who can solve the problem. But it doesn't mean a hill of beans until we're willing to help our friend with their problem. It's not until that knowledge that we know from God's word and the knowledge that we have of who Christ is and what he does in our life and what he can do in the world that we put that into action that the world will change. And I believe, it may be a utopian thought, but I believe our entire planet could live a billion times better than it did if we all came to know Christ. I believe that's true. If we cut the root out, we could solve all the world's problems. That's where our job comes. As you and I choose to help our friends, to help our family. Now here's how I'd like us to conclude this morning. In just a minute, Karen and Cooper are going to help us with the song. And isn't it good to have Karen back? Yeah. Amen. Hi, Renee. Here's how I'd like us to end. We're going to sing this song that we've made kind of our theme song called Come to the Table. And I just want you to sit there. The words are going to be on the screen. If you want to sing, you certainly can. But I want you to think about your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers, those that don't know Jesus. And could you just begin to start to pray for them? It's always the first step to bringing someone to the table is prayer. 
So would you just start to pray for them? Could we just fill this room with prayer and let the Holy Spirit begin to move in us, to give us the courage and the faith and the willingness to say, it's my job to say, this spot is for you, friend. Jesus has been waiting for you to sit in this chair for all of eternity. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb because he created you. He's your heavenly father and he wants relationship with you more than anything. So would you think about your friends? Would you pray for them? Would you sing? Let's begin to be a church that transitions our life, our hearts, our minds, our actions, our willingness, all to this mission of seeing our friends and our families come to the table. This is the best table in the world. There's no better place to be than saved and set free. Some of you here this morning, maybe you haven't made a decision to sit at this table yet. You've been hanging out here for a while. You've been noticing that we have fun at this table. We want you to join the table too. It's our heart. We love you. And we know that we were at one place like you, wondering if this table was a great place to be, making excuses why not to get there. But can I tell you this morning, Jesus gave his life for you. He loved you so much that he wanted you to be at this table. He wanted you to be free. So if you haven't made that decision yet to join us at the table, I'm going to encourage you, make it today. Make it today. Make today the day of your salvation. The day that you choose to start living free. If that's how you feel this morning, I'm going to hang out up front. I'm just going to ask you to come up front. I want to pray with you. I just want to introduce you to Jesus. Say a quick prayer with you. And just let you start this new creation that is inside you. The rest of us, could we pray for our friends? Let's pray. Jesus, we give you our friends our families, our neighbors, our co-workers. We give you the West Plains and to the ends of the earth. We don't give them to you as if they're ours. That's not what we're saying. They're yours. What we're asking is that we would see a mighty move of conversion growth at our church that we would see hundreds and thousands of people that would give their life to you for the first time 
Lord, that's our prayer. And there's no greater prayer. But Lord, we also want to say, this is our mission. We're committed to it. We love you and we love the world. No matter how they treat us or no matter, no matter what they say about us, we know that that's just because their sin hasn't been dealt with yet. They don't understand your love yet. And so, Lord, we'll put up with whatever to show them how much you love them. To show them that they can be free if they just choose you. So, Lord, we give you this time. We give you our lives. We give you this church. We surrender it to you. And we ask you to save our friends to pursue them with a reckless abandon, with your crazy love, and help us to do the same, to bring our friends to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We all said, amen. Amen. amen.